We welcome once again our guest speaker, Mr. Habakkuk. Please open your Bibles to page 997 of the Pew Bibles. I think I get the page number right. We will be reading from chapter 1, verses 5, chapter 1, verse 5, to chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk, page 997, chapter 1, beginning to read from verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Habakkuk's second complaint, 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pu of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? When the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his dragnet, to his net, and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. We will also read from the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find it on your Forms and Prayers book, page 253. This is Lord's Day number 46, page 253. I have a change of mind, so I'll read both questions 120 and 121. So 120 asks, 
Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? Answer, to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer. What should be basic to our prayer? A childlike reverence and trust that through Christ God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith that will our parents refuse us the things of this life. Why the words, who is in heaven? Answer, these words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in, in, in an earthly way and to expect from His almighty power everything needed for body and soul. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word. Help us to not just be those who listen and yet do not understand. Those who see but never perceive. So we pray for you to give us your Holy Spirit so that we may understand, we may believe, and we may obey. Help me to be clear. Help us to focus and hide me and let Jesus Christ be preached today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, we saw the childlike faith that cries to God. The faith that says, I belong to my Savior, and He will never turn me away. I can come to Him, I can reason with Him, and He will purify me. He will make me whiter than snow. He'll make me whole again. My identity as a child of God enables me to cry out to my father. Like children, they grow. Faith grows and grows and grows. Imagine a child that has grown to be a teenager. Teenagers have many questions. It's a good thing because Teenagers start to think on their own, processing things, perceiving things. But often, the teenagers' way or conclusions are not like their parents. And this likely caused some clashes. You know what I'm talking about. This evening, we will look at faith. The childlike faith that cries to God in whatever situation. This faith grows and grows and grows and grows into the faith that trusts in God. Even when God is not what we understand. When what He does is not what we perceive or what we want. This is the story of faith that grows to trust in God. Our outline, as I've said, I forgot to give it. Take it down, write it down now. First, God's answer is verses 5 to 11, followed by Habakkuk's bewilderment, verses 12 to 17, and Habakkuk's confidence, the last verse, chapter 2, verse 1. So you get the answer, bewilderment, confidence. I got the ABC this time. Because of the wickedness in Judah, 
Perversion of God's law among God's very own covenant people, Habakkuk cried to God, How long, O God? Why, O God? And guess what? God answers. We have it. We read it. Look at verse 5 of your Bibles. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. What is God's answer? God tells Habakkuk, Look! Look among the nations and see. Wonder, be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Look at that four times. Look, see, wonder, be astounded. You won't believe this. What is so surprising? What is so new? Verse 6. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Maybe you ask, who are the Chaldeans? So let's pause, and this is Leo reporting the latest news on the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were virtually non-existent until 626 B.C. And in 626 B.C., the king Nabopolassar became king of Babylon. So you will hear the name either Chaldeans or Neo-Babylonians. They're the same nation. So this, Nabopolassar, he started the Chaldean dynasty in six years. In six years, they seized the city of Babylon. Next six years, they conquered Assur. This is one of the main cities of the Assyrians. Two years later, they conquered Nineveh. This is the capital of Assyrians. So they moved the capital to Haran. In two years, the Chaldeans conquered Haran. And this last move ended the Assyrian monarchy forever. Remember the Assyrians? These are not just any nation. They are the ones who plundered the northern kingdom. Ten tribes wiped out, plundered by the Assyrians. And this tiny new Chaldeans, they took over Assyrians for good. So Habakkuk is believed to have been writing around this time. But let me fill you in with what Habakkuk had not yet seen when he wrote this. In 605 BC, the new Babylon Chaldean won the Battle of Carchemish. So Jerusalem was besieged. If you know the prophecy, 70 years of exile usually is counted from 605. And then in 597, Jehoiakim, the king that we talked about this morning, he refused to continue paying tribute to Chaldeans. Revolt, basically. So that led to another siege of Jerusalem. So Jehoiakim was toppled down, and the Chaldeans installed Zedekiah, Josiah's third son, as a puppet king. Zedekiah, though, aligned with Pharaoh, Egypt, and revolted against Babylon. Tell you what, Jeremiah told him not to. Do not rely on men. Well, he did not obey. He, called, he did it anyway. That led to the Babylonians invading Judah, and finally in 587, completely destroyed Jerusalem. That's the end of the southern kingdom. By a very young nation. What, 16 years, 26 years old nation? 
So look at the Habak- uh, our text, Habakkuk 1, verses 6 and 7. God Himself is the one describing this nation as bitter, hasty, dreaded, fearsome. God describes them as terrible nation. Look at verse 7. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. This nation is self-seeking, not God-seeking. Their justice, dignity comes from their belly. Whatever they want to do, they do. There's no fear of God. And they're powerful and scary. Verse 8. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. They really come to devour. The intention is just to destroy, to eat you up. Verse 9, they come for violence. Face forward, gathering captives like sand. Do you remember that phrase? Like sand? God promised Abraham that his offspring would be like sand. But here the Chaldeans are gathering captives like sand. Israelites, it seems like they're undoing God's promise to Israel. What's happening? This is precisely Habakkuk's question. Like, what is it, God? But if you search the scripture, if you remember, God has promised judgment on the covenant breakers. You don't have to flip, but if you remember Leviticus 26, this is what is written there, verse 14 of Leviticus 26. If you do not obey me, but break my covenant, I will do this to you. I will appoint terror over you. You shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you still do not obey me, I will punish you seven more times for your sins. I will jump down to verse 38 of that chapter. You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. Exile. And in their father's iniquities which are with them. They shall waste away. This is it. This is what God is doing. God told them 800 years or so in advance. If you are disobedient, if you do not keep my covenant, this will happen. And God waited and waited and waited, prophet after prophet. And they did not repent. So here is the day of judgment for Judah. So now God is using the Chaldeans to bring Sabbath to the land because Israel had not kept it. This is the judgment of the Lord. And no one can reverse it. Because they do not want to repent. Zedekiah the king. Jeremiah told him, don't seek help from Egyptians. Don't rely on men, on kings. Did not obey. They brought this judgment upon themselves. People of God, we are waiting for that judgment day as well. Where do we stand? 
Are we covenant breakers or are we covenant keepers? Are we in Jesus Christ? Because only in Him we are given the new identity as covenant keepers. Because when the judgment comes, no one can save. No ruler, no president can save us. Look at verse 10 of Habakkuk 1. They scoff at kings. Princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold. Nowhere to hide. What a shame for Judah. Defeated and destroyed by pagan worshippers. They give thanks to their gods. So that is God's judgment, God's answer to Habakkuk's plea, prayer. Habakkuk's praying, God, wickedness in Judah, do something. And God says, you're right, Habakkuk, I'm going to deal with it. I'm sending the Chaldeans to put a stop to the abominations in Judah. Answered prayer. But how did Habakkuk take it? Verse 12, wait a sec, Lord. Like, really, God? But why? Basically that, in short, in our language today. He cannot understand why God would do that. Check it, verse 12. Are you not for everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgments, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Let's pause. This is why I mentioned this morning. We can't help but see Habakkuk knows his God. He has faith in the character of God and His holiness. He read his scriptures. That's why he knows this is the everlasting God. This is the covenant God. Yahweh, O Lord, capital L-O-R-D. My God is a personal relationship. The sovereign and just God who carried out judgment. And he said, the rock. You see that in the psalm. The rock in whom I stand. The God in whom I have my being. Verse 13, what does he say? Pure and just God who cannot look at wrong or tolerate evil. So Habakkuk does not understand God's answer. But when he has to deal with things he doesn't understand, he doesn't make assumptions. He does not fill in the blanks himself. He doesn't lose trust. He stops, he takes a step back, and starts with something that he knows best. His God. The character of his God. The trustworthiness of Yahweh. The covenant God. This is be still and know that I am God. So Christians, have your faith grown so that when things are weird in your life, in times of uncertainty, when things just don't make sense, when you don't see the end of the tunnel, when you can't comprehend God's plan, you can't see His hands, you don't just lean on your own understanding. You don't question his character. But rather, you preach to your own heart who God is. Trust in his sovereignty. Trust his character. Trust that he is your father and he is for you. 
How do we apply this in our life? Do not let situations in life overwhelm or overcome you when you don't understand. Stop. Step, step back. Start from what you know best. Your God. His trustworthiness. His faithfulness. Is thick enough to prove to you. Read it. Open it. It's very sad to see someone who left the faith. They say so. They left the faith. Because he was praying and praying and praying. Finally God answered his prayer. But not the way he wanted it or the way he expected it. And he lost it. Have you met this kind of people? Or maybe it's us. And you say, God just doesn't love me. God is just not just. Or worse, there's no God. We trust Him only when we can understand Him. Only when He does what we expect Him to do. That is not God. That is idol in your heart. So may we trust the living God as revealed in the Bible, in Jesus Christ. Now let me apply this further. This is our vertical relationship. We have to apply it to horizontal way too. We do this to our fellow brothers and sisters when there's conflict, misunderstandings. Maybe you hear someone said something or did something. How often do we immediately question the relationship, question the person or doubt the character, doubt the faith even, questions their profession? This is not how we ought to operate. We need to trust that they're Christians. Trust that you're brothers and sisters and they're there for you because the blood of Jesus Christ is what unites you. Trust the relationship and talk, clarify, reason together rather than assuming the worst and fill in the blanks yourself. Back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk doesn't understand God's answer, but he trusts in God, his Father. He knows his faithfulness, his holiness, so he goes on to God, asks for clarification, pouring out his heart, grounded in his knowledge about God. Look at verse 13. God, you're holy and just. You're faithful. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? When the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he, verse 14, why do you make mankind like fish of the sea? like crawling things that have no ruler. Aren't you our God? Why do you let us get plundered? Look at the Chaldeans, God. Verse 15. He brings all of them up, including us, your people, God. With a hook, he drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, and he rejoices and glad. Like in and out, we're plundered, we're destroyed. And then Habakkuk says in verse 16, They worship their tools, God. This pagan people, look at 16, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his drag net. It was a common practice. The Scythian nation, they made sacrifice to their sword, like scimitar, a dagger. And other nations worshipped their spears. So it was common among the pagan to worship their tools. And then 16, um, it says, For by them, the tools, they live in luxury, his food is rich. So this nation thinks that their dragnet gives them their glory. 
their food. So Habakkuk asked God, 17, Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Are you going to let them destroy nations forever, God? So we have heard God's answer. We have seen Habakkuk's bewilderment, confusion. He is perplexed. But our text doesn't just end there today. Look at our last verse, chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In our language, he's saying, God, I know you're holy and just. I know you're faithful and true. I don't understand why you would allow wicked nation to trample your own people. But I know you're holy and just, and you don't make mistakes. What I don't understand doesn't change what I know about you. You're holy and just, faithful and true, and you're my God. So I will wait. So I will be still and keep watch. I want to hear you. I want to hear your word. I'm not going to act rashly. I will be still. I want you to be the God of my heart. Be the God of my thoughts. Be the God of my actions. That's what chapter 2 verse 1 says. I will wait for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, do you have the faith to trust in God even when you don't see His hands? Cry to God. Trust Him. Trust that He answers His people. We might not receive it immediately. We might not even see Him answering our prayers in this lifetime. Praying for someone to be saved. Maybe our long-lost children, family members. We might not even see the answer in our lifetime, but do you trust His sovereignty? And will that propel you to keep on praying, pleading with God, trusting His will? But aren't we so spoiled? We want God to answer now, our time, our way. We have a hard time trusting God that He will surely answer. We're like instant, instant, instant nation. We're like instant noodles. It's like instant messaging. Everything instant now. It has to be now. We have no patience anymore. We lose sight of how God operates. If you look throughout the Bible though, you will see His faithfulness from the beginning. Abel's blood called to God. God answered. Abraham called to God. God answered. Samson, you know his story. He called to God at the end of his life. God answered. David, Elijah, Habakkuk, I can go on. But you get the point. God answers His children. And yet it is so hard for us to trust to wait on the Lord. Our faith is so feeble. Let me point you to Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. He was misunderstood by people, His people. He was betrayed by His own friends. He was forsaken, even by His own Father, Isaiah tells us. Remember, just before the cross, He prayed. Father, let this cup pass from me if it is possible. 
But not as I will, but as you will. And he went on to the cross. He was beaten. He was spat on. He was naked and alone, mocked, ridiculed. But God has always answered his children's cries, right? So Jesus cried to him on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do you hear? Silence. Silence. This is the Son of God Himself crying to His Father, the eternal Son of God. We are adopted children. And yet, the Father did not answer His call. Isn't that humiliating? Where's your Father? Where's your God? Are you truly His Son? Save yourself from the cross. He died on that cross in shame. His situation did not change after he prayed, let this cup pass. But I can tell you that Jesus trusts perfectly in his Father to the very last breath. How do I know? From his last word before he died, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even to the last breath, he trusts, he rests in his Father. And let me spoil you this. Jesus is not merely a good example. He suffered to pay for our sin. If he's just an example, I'll say, be like Jesus, end of sermon, amen. But he's not. He died so that you may have life. He was forsaken so that you and I may be reconciled. We who are far off, God's enemies, are now adopted as children because of Jesus' sacrifice. And I'm spoiling my next series. In the series, my next sermon, Jesus did not stay dead. And you know that. He who died, he rose again. He now reigns in heaven and on earth, gathering his elect. His life, his death, his resurrection is precisely the reason why you and I, those who believe in Jesus, can and may cry to God, our Father in heaven. And you may be assured that He will answer you because we have been reconciled. You may trust that He is working all things for my salvation. Heidelberg 1 says that. And remember our catechism today, question 120. Through Christ, God has become our Father. And 121 explains further, Heavenly Father in heaven, right? We expect from His almighty power everything needed body and soul. Some Christian thinks we will suffer in this world and just suffer. I disagree. Your life, from the day you believe in Jesus Christ, is a day of joy. And it will continue to get better. It will be suffering, yes, according to the eyes of the world. But even through that, it is a joyful suffering. If you fix your eyes in Jesus, if you put your trust in Him, the darkest day will still be the most joyful moments. 
Because each moment you are with Christ. Because you can cry to God anytime, any day. Your very own Father. If you are already in Christ, do you grow in the knowledge of God? Read your Bible, grow in your knowledge. The more you know Him, the more you will trust Him. So when your enemies assail us, Satan comes, temptation comes, when life seems pointless, when there seems to be no way out, know that there is always a place where you can just fall back and rest. God's Word, God's truth, His unchanging love for you and for me. In Him, in Jesus Christ, you are established and you shall never be moved. This is Habakkuk's confidence. Whatever situation you're in, be still. Pray. Watch. Look at what our God is doing. In the case of Habakkuk, look. Habakkuk died. But we know the story. Assyrians were used to punish the northern kingdom. Then they are punished by the Chaldeans. Chaldeans were used to punish southern kingdom. They too would be punished by the Persian Empire. And this Persian Empire was used by God to return Judah home from exile. All things happen for God's eternal purpose. To redeem us from sin and to bring us home so that we will be with Him forever. Until that day, rest in Jesus. Trust in Him. Stand on this truth and watch, for the Lord will fight the battle for us, and we have only to be still. Let's pray. Father, quiet our hearts, still our minds. We are so easily overwhelmed by what we hear, by what we see, by what we feel. And we only need you because you are the only one who can still our hearts. You're the only one that makes sense. So as we go through this life, Father, help us to not look elsewhere but to the cross of Jesus Christ. Help us to not go elsewhere but to the cross of Jesus Christ. Help us to not trust on anything else but on the sacrifice of Jesus so that we may have faith to know and to believe that you are our Father and you are for us and you ordain all things for our good. Help us to stand and watch the work of your hands. Be with us. Be with this nation. Help us to be the light. Help us to be the witnesses, the stronghold where God's name is proclaimed. As we go from this place, may we be your witnesses. May we stand firm in this truth. May we trust you. And may we call those outside to trust in you as well. Use this church, Father. And may we not be shaken until the day you fetch us home. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.